Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about personal growth and authenticity as fuel for innovation. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zorkaria, Innovation and Value Creation Expert. And today with me, I have Carola Verschur, founder <laughs> of Transformational Studio. Hi, Carola. Hi, Adi. Good morning. So nice to see you. So nice that you're here. I think I was okay with the name. Yes, you did yeah, very yeah. well. You did very yeah. well. It's a difficult <laughs> name. <laughs> So we're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and you're much invited to join the discussion and ask questions, and we'd love to, to have you with us. So we can start. Most leaders are not satisfied with their innovation results. Are existing processes of innovation able to respond to challenges that they are really facing? So that's a question for me. <laughs> That's hard question. Uh, I'm going to attempt to give it an answer, but I think that we are at a time where many, many things are changing, Adi, as we know. And I think the beautiful thing about innovation is that I like to call it the quest for questions. So if you if you approach innovation with curiosity, with looking for what's the next question and the next question, the next question, without becoming myopic in the search for answers, then then yes, uh, innovation is a way to help us, understand that many many of the times we are dealing with symptoms, not with the real problem. So if you dare to keep looking for the question behind the question, it's eventually you navigate to the core of the problem. And then you can do something which in, de in design we call reframing, which is putting the terms with which you ask the question in the real relevant context in which they have to be asked. So, um, You have written a lovely book that talks to us about how to deal with chaos. I think to a degree, um, a lot of it is being purposeful about how we go about innovation. But also, as you know, uh, my background is I grew up in Argentina, I'm Argentinian. So as a Latin American, I also somehow intuitively understand that there is a chaotic nature to innovation. So sometimes... There is a logic to chaos that's not apparent when we look at, at chaos in the face, but if we let it unfold organically, it shows us its logic and then we can get playful with it. So rather yeah. long answer to a very complicated question. Yeah, <laughs> but actually what you're saying that we shouldn't be afraid of something that we, we don't know and we need to help it unravel, just unfold in front of us and not say, okay, we cannot handle it because we don't know and it's too new and it's too unknown for us. That's right. So if you like epic tales of battling dragons, then definitely I would say read, read fiction. Uh, but if you're interested in how do we deal with the reality of chaos, then I'd say read Addy's book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's called The Innovative <laughs> Through yes. chaos. So it's like it, actually exactly about that. Yes. So, and, and to be honest, I mean, I've read your book and the book doesn't have answers. It's just no. a provocation for us to learn to think differently, to approach things differently, to have 
patience and determination to tackle the challenge, but to not just take the first solution that comes to mind or that is thrown at us as the only possibility. So it's really about that what you say, unfolding the possibilities and indeed innovating through chaos. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we talk about that it's related to your personal growth, that like when you're doing this and it's part of even living, it's not only connected to business or innovation. It's like you're giving the possibilities to be open in front of you and not trying to control everything because you cannot really control a change because it's changing. Right. So you cannot really tell it what to do. You can try to understand it. You can try to see what you do with it, but you cannot really fix it or solve it very easily. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's what you should do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it and absolutely, it relates to, to personal growth. So already in the announcement of this, this podcast, people were like, Oh my God, we're so intrigued what you're going to say. Well, you know yeah. what? Me too. <laughs> because I'm here as my authentic self. I'm here for us to have a lovely discussion, to let that chat unfold. Uh, sometimes people ask me because my profile is very uh, pixelated, very mixed. I have many interests. So yeah. I come from a background in corporate innovation. I did that for 18 years. And after that, I moved into uh, uh, consumer research. Uh, because I really wanted to understand what makes people tick. You know, it's not just developing products, developing services, but what is this research thing? And through that, I rolled into design. And in the meantime, as a kind of side hobby, if you were, I uh, started uh, um, learning neurolinguistic programming. And, I'm, and by, by now, I am a certified coach. I am a master in neurolinguistic programming. And I was really diving into this aspect of personal development, authenticity, and growth. And I think that it took me a while. It took me like 10 years all in all because I was working and, and you know doing client work and other things in between but where these two things come together is that as human beings we have been uh, brought up taught institutionalized into seeking validation outside of ourselves and as innovators and as business people we tend to do that as well and I think we're in a pivotal time in which a lot of systems are collapsing a lot of things that we held to be true uh, and they helped us to kind of, you know, deal with life and the world as it was, but no longer is. It's changing very, very fast. And so really it's about having the presence of mind and understanding both personally and professionally that to navigate the storm, to navigate the complexity, we really have to... Um, have be level-headed to have the presence of mind and the presence of heart to look at the situations as they appear and to address the breadth of the situation not just narrow it down to what we want to accomplish and yeah. um this is th these are quite sort of in a way new ways of approaching things and one of the people who i think says it most wonderfully is one of a, a kind of superhero of mine his name is bruce mao Bruce Mao is Canadian and he's a designer. And Bruce says, uh, wicked problems, so the problems of our age, wicked problems need wicked teams. And he's kind of winking at us saying, you know, be a bit rebellious, be a bit different, ask the different question, open up the field and seek the complementarity of addressing the wickedness of the problems through a different perspective and supporting each other. So I think 
we're moving much, much more away from just looking for the competitive edge, but really looking at how can we co-create, how can we collaborate, how can we co-design, because that's going to make the quality of what we develop much, much stronger and make it more resilient because we've considered more things into the actual process of innovation and design. Yeah, and, and what you're saying about personal growth and when you understand what is your capabilities and your goals in life and your strength and you take that and not only skills, what you like what is written in your CV, let's say in addition to that, you can really leverage your talents in order to do something. And when you're gathering people from diverse backgrounds in order to solve something so complex, you have so much more uh, percentage of success because each one of these people is bringing something which is more than just his skills. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and it demands a, a way to just go inside and understand what is your goals? How do you see what you're doing? Why are you doing that? Which is a, a really big question other than, yeah, I want this salary, which is a good reason, but it's not the only reason, right? Yeah. And when, when people know that, they can really uh, test out their strength in the world much better. And also, while they are testing out the strength in the world, which is obviously a proactive approach, a way of sort of moving outward, it's also feeling contained by the group. Because, because you came from a group development, then when you go out into the world, others are, are with you. And if you fail, if you tumble, if you make a mistake, the others are, are there to help you digest that mistake and try again. And that's something that for us humans is very difficult to do on our own. Um, I suppose you would have to be like super enlightened to be able to do things, reflect about them, have a peace of mind, uh, you know, try things again just because of, uh, you know, you wanting to do it. It's not that simple. So we really need one another in this sense. And I think that referencing authors, uh, two of my, my uh, favorite authors on this topic are women. And one of them is Tina Seelig, who is very well known probably because of one of her uh, earlier books, which is called Ingenious. And she talks about human ingenuity and our ability to engage playfully and curiously with the challenges at hand. And the interesting thing about this, and it relates to the second author I'm going to mention, who is Carol Dweck from Mindset, um, it relates to the fact that we do not see our skills and abilities as described in our CV as a static thing. Rather, they are like we now use in these days of social media, the hashtags that reference the topics that interest us, but that we start understanding that we are not done learning about this. So there is no such thing as, you know, in the olden days you had knowledge and you were an expert and everyone asked you because you were supposed to have the answers. Back to the initial point, on these particular topics, the experts are the one who have the relevant questions. It's not, we shouldn't pretend that we know because we don't know. It's everything is, is changing and unfolding. So it's really about, you know, not, not kind of been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, but no problem is so unique that we cannot address it when we purposefully intend to do so together from a mindset of what Carol Dweck calls growth, yes, so curiosity to learn, um, and with the uh, belief, really, uh, of the power of human ingenuity when we work together uh, to address those problems. Yeah. 
when you go to the business world, you see quite clearly that most uh, entrepreneurs don't work alone. There are very, very few of these. And they're usually working in a very uh, a good team and collaboration. It's, it's not only that very talented people are in this uh, initiative or, or a, a, an innovation project or startup. It's the collaboration and the way that they could really utilize each other, you know, to overcome this uh, unknown um, roller coaster, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the only way they can really handle it because many people, when they think about, you know, innovation and startups and, and this like domain, they think, yeah, it's like you need to be very smart. That, that's the first thing that comes to mind because you're thinking differently because you have other ideas. You, you can manage it like technically and you're the best uh, technical team there. But actually the mental capabilities that are needed from someone who's doing change are so much more as I see it than just, you know, being a smart guy, which is important, but it's not all the story, right? Yeah. Yeah. So agree with that. I think that uh, being a smart guy or girl or however you genderly. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, that's very important. <laughs> how, however you, you, uh, you tag yourself. Um, I think that the entrepreneurs, as, as you bring them, they are hugely admirable people because, they, of course, they are very smart, but primarily kind of the dominant uh, feature, if you were, is their willingness to do. So if you stay in the domain of thinking, you tend to spin. You tend to uh, get caught in analysis. So we're going to get it perhaps into more detail on the, on the sale model that I developed for my book, Change Ahead. And actually what the sale model does is it connects now and the future and thinking and doing, right? And the, the magic sweet spot between connecting where you are now and where you want to go and thinking and doing is the actual moment when the rubber hits the road and you do something. And I think right. that entrepreneurs um, today, so in this day and age, right, entrepreneurs are those who dare to take the step and to put a kind of... Uh, uh, question mark on startups as the uh, you know uh, the ideal form of working I just like to say that most startups fail uh, actually it's more than 99% of startups fail we call those stall ups yeah? so they stall uh, and those that scale scale because they today they have the ability of creating a culture, of creating a movement, of creating something that others want to join and contribute to through their specific capabilities, through their personal, authentic questions that they have with which they want to contribute to push this purpose forward. In the industrial age, this was not the case. So in the industrial age, we were much more driven by inventiveness than by ingenuity. So you invented something, you went to the patent office, you patented it, and it was yours to exploit forever and ever and ever. The consequence of this exploitation and resource extraction model, which we had in the industrial age, made that we would delegate work by delegating instructions on how to precisely reproduce and scale what was been invented in terms of process, product, what have you, even service, right? 
what happens today is that there, it's much more nuanced. And so just transferring the way of doing things is no guarantee that that is what would come out at the end of the process. And that is why scaling is such a complex topic these days, because it's not just about knowing how to do it, but it's really about integrating what the company is trying to bring into the world in whichever order of business, whether it's NGO or for profit, it doesn't matter. Profit is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a consequence of engaging in the movement, of uh, people joining the purpose, of people being interested in the value that is being created. And what is changing is the definition of value. And therefore, the way we look at the actual act of value creation. And yeah. this is really a big topic of our time because this engages me as in my innovation heart to say, okay, but if this is happening, then how are we going to organize in order to do this, in order to achieve better results for everyone? Because I think that if you are innovating for the sake of creating a profit, this may not be the first question that rises. The question is much more related to growth. Uh, whereas for me today, and that's the reason why my company has the name it has, today innovation is about transformation. Yes, transformation studio. My company is called Transformational Studio. And indeed, it's what we do at Transformational Studio is transformation design. So we take a lot of what is known today from the design disciplines and we integrate it and we cross it with all manner of other disciplines in order to create novel solutions. And these are solutions that simply have are not there yet because we have not addressed them from the pixelated, uh, complementary and question-driven approach that transformation design offers, which is its human-centered design, but really integrating all kinds of disciplines. So what we do at Transformational Studio is we invoke all kinds of tools and methods and we use them as kind of muses to see, okay, what would happen if we frame it through this way or this way? And then we start provoking our clients with new kinds of questions in order to unlock the challenge. And, and you kind of, the interesting thing about this is that, of course, there is a rational aspect to it, but when you, when the provocation works, you feel it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really, it's, it, it almost cannot be explained, but both ourselves and the client feel like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is the heart of the matter. Oh goodness, if we can address this, then we can really raise the bar, lift our hearts that like you feel like, wow, if we could do that, we could really make a positive impact. And then the last bit of our process is that we help them evoke. So we help them become role models of that behavior by putting it out there. First of all, your consumers, your customers, your uh, if it's public services, uh, so your citizens will feel engaged, but also you will show the world that it can be done, that it is being done. And as such, the process starts all over again because you can use that as an invocation of the next challenge you want to tackle, the next person you want to inspire, and so on. But when you talk about it, it feels to me like some people might say, you know, there is this more spiritual point of view, which is more like, what I want to do, what is my vision, what is my goals as a person in my career. And the other one is like more business. Yeah, we are for profit. We're going to make money. So it seems like there are two paths that, that how do, do you merge them into one thing that they say, yeah, that's the right thing for me and for in general, it's the right thing. 
when, when is this merging coming yes. to, to, to creation? Well, my question would be the other way around. When were they ever different? Like what happened that we separated the two, right? So um, I think that we have become excessively short-term driven and performance driven. So let me bring an analogy. So if I want to look better and I want to feel good, I can say to myself, I am going to drop five kilos, right? But that is just a metric. That is never going to be an indicator of how I feel and how I look. It's just a thing. So the same thing what we have done in the business context is we have alienated the core of what we're doing, the essence of what we're doing, by attributing metrics to it. And the thing is this, the, the, we like to say the map is not the territory, right? So the KPI is not the behavior. And so uh, uh, even assuming that that is going to provide an answer is highly short-term driven. And let me add to that, it's actually dangerous because it means that you are overlooking the true indicators and therefore you can be uh, manipulated or you can uh, blindly walk into behaviors that are not ideal. Let me just hang it kind of yeah. a bit high as we say in Dutch. Yeah, so, yeah. Because, um, because you're doing it because you should or not because, or you could, but it's not really what you want to, to reach. It's like not right. your internal goal. It's just yes. outside. That's what you're meaning. So yeah. another author that I, that I love in this domain, I, I think uh, that, that his books are, are really super, is uh, Sir Ken Robinson. And Ken Robinson wow, I said, love him. Yeah, I really well, love him. If you one look at the things that he the said... Yeah, and, and for me, one of the, the, the things that really stuck of the things he said was you can't pull on grass to make it grow. And so we're talking about the topic of personal growth as a, a field yeah. for innovation. And in this context, his quote is very, very relevant. So we, at some point, someone and the rest of us, by contagion, by viral effects, uh, started adopting this kind of uh, language. We started calling people human resources. And we were in a context, in a paradigm, in which we were looking at resources as something that you extract and that you exploit. But that is like doing an absolute disservice to the actual human being that is the first part of the word human resources. So actually, we, look, we need to look at resourceful humans. We need to look at how do we turn on that human capability, that human capacity, I would even go to say it, human yearning to make a positive difference so that they become resourceful and allow us jointly to tackle the topics of our time. But if we keep making things smaller by trying to quantify them, trying to KPI them, trying to box them, trying to put tags on them, then in the end, we overlook that, again, to the wickedness of things, eh, that problems are really wicked, that they are really multifaceted, that they are really multidimensional, and that they require an approach that is much more organic in the sense that when a problem is so big, so multifaceted, so multidimensional, you're not going to solve it in one go. Let's, let's, you know, that is part of the human limitation. Yeah. No matter how smart you are, no matter how right. long you think about it, you've got to start doing, you've got to start experimenting you've got to start trying things out you've got to start learning as you go and having the humility to say i'm going to learn i don't know but i this problem is pressing is important it's affecting sufficient people that i want to try and look for a solution 
And yeah. that if you, in the process of doing that, you are able to create value. And if in the process of doing that, because we are in a paradigm in which we, we measure value transactionally in terms of money and you generate a profit, that's great. You generate savings, that's great, man. That's awesome because actually all that, that, that money that flows out of that allows you to tackle the next question and the next question and the next question. But if we start addressing the topic of money and a great author who talks about these topics in the context of culture is Douglas Rushkoff, who is a media anthropologist, excellent work. He, um, he has written a book that is called Team Human about how we go as humans about with the digital technologies. But looking at that, what he says is actually we have started treating money also as a resource that we exploit and extract. And we try to uh, take the energy that money is and kind of put it into a unit and hold it really, really tight. And then like we can use it, but why are we accumulating wealth? Like what for? If you go to a desert island and you have a stack of dollar bills, what's it gonna do for you? Like, how is it helping you can us? Burn. You can burn it. You can burn it, yeah. <laughs> maybe if you eat it, it has some nutritional uh, uh, residue. I don't know, never tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think it's a very human way of thinking. When, when usually when we're thinking about human-centered design, we're talking about the end customers, the end client. And what you're talking about is you as a leader, your employees, the people who work around you, they're all human. The people who are affected, it could be uh, the third party that you work with, your partners, your suppliers, and the end user. So it's mm -hmm. not only focused on, let's understand the customers why, right, in order to provide the right answer. It's, it's a, a holistic point of view, what's human and what's good for human beings. And I think it's connected to what you see right now in the Bay Area, that people who are working for companies want to be sure that they're working for the right companies who are doing the mm -hmm. right things. And not only, yeah, we get, we have all these like great benefits from the, from the company and it's everybody's envious of us because we are working in the right place. And now we want to make sure that we're utilizing our time and talent and resources, you know, to create something which is good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the first uh, signs of that um, were intuitive. So what we started seeing, and, and I saw that uh, quite a bit as well, um, with uh, students. So I was working with different institutions in Northern Europe, um, particularly on topics of design and digital design, but also user experience design. And our students would graduate, and uh, in, a, in a short period of time, they would burn out. And the reason why they were burning out wasn't necessarily because they were working many hours a day. It was because they didn't see the meaning. They didn't see the purpose of what they were doing. And um, we have we seem to have overlooked this. I think that for, for, for us generationally, it was easier to say, you know, shut up and keep going. And the, the younger generations um, are not, willing to make a compromise with this it's really affecting their health and their well-being and so these first signs of really systemic collapse it's a system that no longer responds to the needs of those that are actors in the system mm 
And this is why it relates to, to uh, human-centric design, not because the humans are the center of the universe, but because what we started understanding intuitively, unfortunately, through the burnout of, of these young people and people in their early 20s, I'm talking, and what we started understanding is that there is a huge interdependency of systems and that humans are relational beings. And if we are not able to relate to something, it just disconnects, it breaks. There is no creation of meaning. There is no higher purpose. There is no reason for jumping out of bed and going and doing the work. And I think we, we accepted generationally, we accepted the grind much more. Whereas uh, the younger generations are not accepting this anymore. And yes. interestingly enough, they are generating new ways because, again, we know that the way to change a system is not by saying, oh, that system's wrong, but the way to change a system is creating a different one. That's it. Yeah. And, and they yeah. are doing so. And, and, and yeah. increasingly, more and more in successful ways and increasingly more and more through an understanding of things like the Sustainable Development Goals, which... We know you can get into a long discussion about the SDGs, but what is strong about the SDGs is this interdependency relational nature is built into the objectives themselves. And therefore, it's something that all of us can contribute to and kind of measure, not so much as a unique metric, but as a um, what you start measuring is progress in a certain direction, uh, adding to something that we all want. And this... Um, I think that that's the way things will start start moving directionally. How can we create inventions, interventions, experiments that start moving us towards the future that we together are aiming to create? And we are part of that. That's why personal growth cannot be seen separate. That is why these things have always been merged and it's only been us unmerging them artificially to try and understand them. But once you get to that level of understanding, then the next question immediately pops up. Yeah. I think that we, we cannot put aside the fact that we're in the middle of the COVID crisis and some of the things that we just discussed are even more right now. Um, first, as I see it, the fact that we are merging our personal life and our work life, so so interwined in each other, um, inevitably will make us look at ourselves as more human because you see that mental health is affecting the way that your employees are, are performing mm -hmm. and you see that the fact that they cannot be related to your company because they're not coming they're not really going to the offices and meeting everyone and being like together in, in the same place will change the culture and because people are looking at, at it from another perspective right now, as I see it. It's like mm -hmm. it takes time to see it from, um, it's not the usual thing, yeah, but they understand that, that they are interdependent and they understand that it's not the same, the fact that we're talking together, I understand what you're saying, you understand me, we're seeing more or less like 30% of our body, but actually there is something more that happens when people are working together and collaborating. And really there is this energy that we talked about that mm -hmm. happens when something is creative. And it's, it's really, I think it, it's really interesting to see that due to the fact that we are so isolated, we understand the importance of what we're bringing and what is like human connection, which is like, it's contradictive to what we think, but I think it, it, this is how I feel right now, right? So um, I think that this is going to increase the um, 
the change and the pace of change to that direction right now because it's it's different than what we knew in the past right? oh so, absolutely <laughs> sure. it's not I think those things have always been there but they have become visible as you well say because the covid crisis has become a catalyst so um I think we would we would just you know dismiss things before and now we can't because they keep coming back so um the the, the human need for connection has always been there um the uh, the need for qualitative communication has always been there um and what we have lost is the direct access the analog right the physical direct access to these things and therefore because we start missing them we start yearning for them we start putting new requirements onto the actual connections that we have in other words before it's not that we didn't meet on uh, all kinds of virtual conferencing platforms but it was only part of our day and therefore it's like okay you know what uh, I'll do sort of part uh, something you told me recently about okay I'll just put up with this and then I'm going to listen to the podcast in the car on my way into the city yeah. Um, right. and and now it's like okay man my the time is like warped right it's kind of changing in its definition because you don't have time in the car which used to be actual time lost but you didn't see it as time lost because you replaced it with a podcast and now you don't have time to listen to podcasts and what's yeah. happening and blah 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 so what happens is that because these things kind of get warped out of the context that they were in we now start putting new requirements to the things that we actually do that said uh, we are seeing at least in northern Europe that people this blending of work and life particularly to people who have others that they care for have to care for so meaning small children or elderly or people with disabilities or you know any any situation where care also comes into the context that this blending is actually really really cumbersome and and really uh, costing a lot of energy because what we we seem to have lost in terms of speaking in, in ux terms in terms of the journey is that there are no moments of disengagement so you are continuously in the journey and it's just like it never stops and so people don't have an opportunity to come up for air on their terms and that being on their terms is really important because because it's not like okay turn off the computer yeah so what but like you know mm -hmm. the computer is kind of still there so it's other kind of screens are there for sure yeah. so this yeah. this the way that we engage with things uh, and what we expect is changing quickly very quickly yeah so what will define an innovation leader in the world of post pandemic hmm. I get to I get to make a wish. Yeah. Good. So we're talking about what we believe or what we want to believe. It's both. They are both important. I I really hope their humanity and their authenticity. Uh, put it in a different way, their groundedness. So really, you know, having all of these lofty goals and and going for extreme profits and uh, you know. I think that that will stay behind us um, because we will understand, we will have to become much, we will have much more solidarity because a lot of people are suffering uh, because of the COVID uh, pandemic, because they are limited in what they are allowed to do. 
um, sometimes for good reason because it's a, it's a public health issue and we we understand that we have to take care of us but some people are making real hard sacrifices and uh, therefore there will be a, um, a realization that we're in this together and so I, I really hope that uh, innovation leaders uh, post-pandemic will be focusing on helping us transition into a transformed world, helping us transition into a world where there is more cooperation, where there is more uh, aspiration towards human goals, even Earth goals, yeah, planetary goals, rather than the uh, individualistic accumulation of health, sorry, of wealth, uh, um, status, or what have you, because we're we're rebalancing values at this point. So yeah. I think what will make uh, successful innovation leaders, and by success I mean uh, people who achieve things that are of a greater good for for themselves as well as others, are going to be those that embrace their humanity, that uh, open up, that don't uh, ex expect others to think that they know the answer to things, but that they are explorers, that they are uh, uh, people who are looking for alternative ways of doing things. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these things that are alternative uh, have very high adoption rates, very, very quick adoption rates. Um, but also I think that having lived through the dot-com myself, having worked for a former dot-com with increasingly high adrenaline levels at that time, um, I think no, none, none of us wants that again. We are understanding that, um, you know, the exponentiality of growth eventually turns into an S-curve. That may be a bit abstract for our audience, so let me explain. We seem to have been obsessed pre-COVID on the so-called hockey stick of growth, so uh, starting and once you break through as a company, having exponential growth, very high growth rates. But if you look further in the horizon, you see that that comes at a cost and that sooner or later the growth declines and it, it, it stabilizes. And so that's why the curve, it forms from a hockey stick into an S. And I think that we now know that. And so we'd rather have more um, organic growth um, rather than extreme growth because it's, we are in it for a marathon. It's not just small sprints of growth. We're in this for a long term. So I hope that this is authenticity and a holistic view of goal setting, meaning not just the next quarter, but what is the impact of what we're doing for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? How will it change the course of things? That these are things that we have to have the daring to tap one another on the shoulder and say, hey, what are you doing? And how's that helping anyone? Yeah. And why? Why are we doing it? Do, do we believe that this is the good direction? Do And when we see maybe it's not what we meant, we can correct it all the time. Yes, always. Yeah. Always. always. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it it was so fast and it passed like nothing for me. I, we could have talked, I think, for at least another hour. <laughs> but I want to I want to ask you if people want to know more and hear from you. Where could they find you and contact you? 
So we're in the process of actually uh, launching our website uh, uh, later this month. We're changing our URL to transformational.studio. Um, if you want to get in contact with me at the moment and until our website is up, uh, probably LinkedIn is the best way uh, to do so. Uh, as you said, Adi, my name is Carola Verschoor, which is for most people unpronounceable and difficult uh, to spell. Uh, but I invite you to uh, to connect via LinkedIn. Uh, Carola Verschoor is my name. Um, and uh, yeah, well, then we take it from there. That's where people can find me. You know that I've also written a book, which is called uh, Change Ahead. So if you I have time are, to talk about that, but next time maybe. <laughs> no, but if people are curious, like where do these ideas come from and how do they get to these conclusions, then then that might be a nice place, uh, nice place to read uh, read about it. Yeah, and and then we had a few questions uh, from from Annie, and I, we didn't have time to show everyone. So I'm, I I want to thank Mandra for her question, and I want to thank Annie for joining us. And great podcast, thank you. And and like we didn't have time for everything, but I think that we it was important, and insightful for me, and I hope for others. So it's really important for me. And I want to thank you for your time, Cole. It's no, been thank such you a so pleasure. much. I love and, talking to you, Adi. You're such an inspiration. Well, and thanks uh, on behalf of all of us for your great podcast. I really uh, enjoy it. I don't uh, listen to podcasts in the car. I listen to podcasts when I walk the dog. <laughs> but uh, okay, I will so try I'm still it. enjoying them. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, Corella. And, and to all of you change makers out there, thank you for joining us. And I'll see you next week. You're much invited to uh, visit me at in invincibleinnovation.com. And have a great week. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening.